Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Urbane Cowboys. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. Today, we're going to talk about the courts and uh, recent court packing proposals that have emerged in Congress and uh, possibly in the Biden administration. And uh, so to do that, we have our uh, returning Supreme Court Spingali, uh, Ilya Shapiro, uh, from the Cato Institute. He's the vice president and director of the Robert A. Levy Center for Constitutional Studies. Uh, welcome back to the program. Good to be back. Um, the, the court, you know, I had my book come out the end of uh, September, Supreme Disorder, when I talked to you, and it's really never left the news. Yeah, that's true. I do, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the last time you were on the show, you were not a vice president, though. Am I right in saying that you have been promoted to vice president? That's right, for my sins. <laughs> yes, yes. So you have you have uh, all the duties that the Cato Institute believes a vice president should have, which is probably nothing, I would think. Uh, well, I mean, uh, with, with large organizations, uh, you know, I'm not the only vice president. And of course, there's there's an executive vice president and three senior vice presidents. So I'm basically tied with five or six other people for being five heartbeats away. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so um, it, when we had you on last time to talk about your book, uh, we did briefly talk about uh, court packing because uh, you're right; it's it's never really left the news. But we have, uh, you know, just recently, uh, I believe there's been legislation introduced to raise the number of Supreme Court justices from nine to thirteen, and then I also think the Biden administration said they're going to do some commission or something to look at the issue generally. Um, maybe maybe let's just start with, you know, uh, why does, like, what 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 is at stake with court packing? Like, why did, you know, like 9, 13, those are both uh, odd numbers, right? Uh, you know, what, like, why do people care so much about this issue, the number of people on the court? Right. There, there, there's no platonic ideal for number of justices uh, on, on the Supreme Court. For that matter, if we were creating a, a Supreme Court, a constitution from scratch, maybe we'd have 19 or 15 or 16 for that matter. Some countries have an even number so that you require at least a two-vote margin to do anything. Uh, but of course, we're not uh, going from scratch. Uh, we've had nine for 150 years. It's not written to the Constitution. It would just take a normal uh, act of Congress, which now is, is subject to filibuster in the Senate. We can get into the politics of all this, uh, which is why the, this this latest proposal to uh, to add four seats to four, 13 is is not going anywhere because the centrist Democratic senators uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, among, among others, have said they, they won't go in for for court packing, at least not yet. Um, but in our history, we started off with six, 
that briefly went down to five. There was a bitter judicial battle between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, the Midnight Judges Act, where Adams tried to, uh, he lost the election. It was very bitter, and he tried to reduce Jefferson's power, appoint a whole bunch of judges uh, as he was going out the door. That's where Marbury v. Madison comes from. It was about a, the delivery of a judicial commission. Uh, then uh, the new Congress with Jefferson uh, re uh, upped the court back to six, and then it kept growing to seven, to eight, to nine, to ten, uh, to allow Lincoln to have more power. But before he filled those seats, uh, he was assassinated. Andrew Johnson took over, and uh, the Republicans did not like Andrew Johnson. He was kind of a ticket balancer, so they cut seats. Uh, they couldn't kick existing justices out, but they basically said, uh, we'll let the court atrophy back down to seven. Uh, but then in 1869, uh, uh, it was back fixed under, under Grant to, uh, to nine, and that's where we've been ever since. Um, FDR, every, this is talked a lot uh, in the 30s, FDR was not happy with uh, the court's decisions in uh, rejecting several New Deal programs, and so proposed in 1937 to add uh, a new justice for every justice that was over the age of 70 and a half. Why 70 and a half? Because that would let him add exactly seven, uh, six justices to have a major, a working majority of progressive Democrats basically uh, on the court. Hugely unpopular. The Democrats, despite uh, FDR's personal popularity, the Democrats ended up losing 80 seats in the House and eight in the Senate in the 1938 midterms, uh, but FDR got to pack the court the old-fashioned way by maintaining power, and just four years later, by 1941, he had made eight of the nine appointments uh, to the court. And that's where we basically stood with uh, court packing until the uh, the Merrick-Garland imbroglio, where in 2016, uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans did not take up the nomination of, of uh, Merrick-Garland uh, for the vacancy caused by Justice Scalia's passing. In fact, uh, even before President Obama nominated Garland, uh, McConnell said that the vacancy would be open through the election. Uh, and he was true to his word. And remarkably, there was steel in the spine of Republican senators, and they, they kept that open. And so a lot of uh, Democrats, progressive activists, felt that that was a stolen seat, so-called, uh, ultimately filled by Neil Gorsuch. Then we had Brett Kavanaugh, very contentious hearing, obviously, even before the 11th hour sexual assault allegations. Uh, and then uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away uh, a little over a month before the election. And uh, the Republicans, again, with Mitch McConnell in the lead, confirmed Amy Kelly Barrett. So that was seen by, again, some Democrats and progressive activists as being illegitimate. So that's where kind of the um, the the anger, the frustration on the left, uh, this uh, played a role in the Democratic presidential primaries where it seemed like every, uh, almost every candidate uh, had uh, his or her own judicial reform plan, whether court packing or something else, except two, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, who happened to be the last two men standing in that Democratic primary race. And Biden said he was against it. Bernie Sanders, and possibly the only thing that I agree with him on, said, look, if we do this, next time the Republicans are in power, they're going to do it. And I'm not going to do the accent, but he said, uh, in 50 years, we're going to have 87 justices, and that's crazy. Uh, by the time it got to the general election, Joe Biden was playing it coy, didn't want to lose the support of the, of the base, and so said, look, the court's out of whack. I'm going to appoint a commission 
to study this, to study different reforms. And historically, presidents appoint commissions to try to kick the can down the road. Maybe the issue will go away or, you know, six, eight, 12 months down the line when the commission issues its report. Maybe there'll be other things in the news and we won't have to worry about this so much. But anyway, that's uh, that's where we stand now. And I've, I've written uh, about the commission. I've written about court packing and we can we can go into that. But uh uh, a lot of news uh, about it also because last week, Justice Breyer, the oldest justice who's feeling pressure now to retire, um, to let President Biden appoint his replacement, but he said that he was against court packing, as did Justice Ginsburg uh, several years ago uh, as well, because for, for obvious reasons, if you if you pack the court, which let's l- l- just be clear, the definition of court packing is to add seats, to add justices for political reasons. Uh, it's not, you know, other kinds of reforms. It's not. It's 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 literally expanding the court for political ideological reasons, and uh, none of the justices want that because they recognize that if that's done, uh, then the court truly will uh, lose uh, legitimacy. Yeah. Um, well, there's the example of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Breyer's uh, good friend and fellow Clinton appointee to the court. Uh, she was pressured in 2013, 2014. Uh, to to retire to let President Obama appoint her replacement. Uh, she was getting up there in years, of course, and uh, you know, like most people, she thought that Hillary Clinton would win the 2016 election, and uh, and then she could retire. But uh, you know, uh, people plan and and God laughs, so that didn't happen. And then she was uh, you know six weeks short of outlasting President Trump, or at least uh, getting to the election, uh, and when she passed away, and. Um, and so President Trump got to got to name her uh, replacement, uh, which is probably the the biggest shift jurisprudentially in one seat since uh, George H. W. Bush replaced Thurgood Marshall with with Clarence Thomas. Um, so the same thing is now happening with Breyer. He's been on the court uh, nearly thirty years. Uh, he's uh, eighty two years old. Seems to be in good health. Certainly in good health for an eighty two year old. Uh, but uh, the Democrats do have a technical majority, as you said. Um, if if uh, Donald Trump hadn't kicked away those two uh, Georgia seats in the special elections in the, in January, then we could be facing the pro- could have been facing the prospect of the the first uh, hearing and confirmation process uh, when the Senate is controlled by a party opposite uh, the presidency since Clarence Thomas in 1991. Uh, but that didn't happen, and there's a a 50 50. Uh, with with Kamala Harris, the VP, as the as the tiebreaker situation in the Senate. So. Um, you know, midterm elections next year, the Democrats could lose that technical uh, majority. And so a lot of people are advising Breyer to get out. Um, he is being coy, as is you would expect uh, someone to be. I, I still expect him to announce his retirement this June. The norm is generally to announce your retirement on the last day of the term or the week after thereabouts. Um, uh, but this year, or if not this year, then then almost certainly next year, depending on how the uh, the political winds are are blowing if indeed it looks like the Democrats are going to lose their their Senate majority. I think it would it would be uh, almost a hundred percent that Breyer would, would retire. You know, in the next fourteen months. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, you you mentioned the definition of court packing is to to add seats so that you can change the, the basically so that you can carry the day politically. I kind of want to talk about that for a moment. And I know that I don't know how comfortable you are sort of talking about that. If that's the political side, may or may not be your bailiwick, but what. What, what do you think that they might be trying to accomplish? Because when I look at this court, they've, you know, they, they did not overturn Obamacare. Um, they haven't overturned Roe versus Wade. 
Um, and in the, the recent Bostic opinion, uh, uh, Justice Gorsuch expanded uh, gender rights, uh, transgender rights, and so forth. So what if, if we were to take this sort of seriously as an initiative for court packing, what what issues do you think that, say, the progressive left are have not been able to carry the day and are concerned that even if they pass legislation that the Supreme Court, that this Supreme Court might actually block the legislation? Yeah, this is why this move isn't really, uh, I don't think, gaining popular traction because on the left, they're upset from time to time about certain rulings. But uh, if you look at the last 10, 15 years, um, whether with Kennedy as the swing vote, whether with Roberts, um, you know, even now with, uh, you know, Kavanaugh or Gorsuch or Barrett uh, in the middle, there hasn't been some radical right-wing turn uh, on the court, uh, which obviously frustrates uh, conservatives. Um, but uh, whether you're talking about same-sex marriage or affirmative action or, or Obamacare, as you said, we haven't seen those kinds of decisions. The uh, the issues that really animate the left, uh, voting rights, there's the Shelby County case in 2013, Citizens United from 2010, kind of structural issues. Bush v. Gore still, it's, you know, it's been 21 years but uh, that's still, uh, you know, that that's when the modern judicial wars kind of took took on a, a different kind of tenure, and and uh, uh, progressives uh, started questioning the the legitimacy of, of of many justices that that you know Bush was an illegitimate president, and therefore the justices that he appointed Roberts and Alito are illegitimate as well. Uh, but but you're right, you know, the man on the street, even kind of the average liberal, the average progressive, is not. Uh, does not think of the Supreme Court as, a, as an institution that's uh, uh, against uh, his or her interests. So, you know, we'll see what happens this June, you know, when the court uh, decides the, the, the big cases from this term, although uh, not too many blockbusters uh, this term. The biggest one is probably about um, uh, the city of Philadelphia disqualifying Catholic social services from its adoption and foster care programs because they won't place with uh, same-sex couples, they'll just refer to another agency that will then uh, make that placement. You know, unclear whether that's going to be the kind of uh, 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 catalyst for uh, uh, bigger calls for uh, for court packing or otherwise. If the court takes up the Harvard affirmative action case, which it hasn't yet, it's on its doorstep, it, it will be deciding whether to take up that case for next term. That could uh, certainly gain some attention. But again, we won't see a decision in that case until June of next year. So, um, you know, we'll see what the uh, what this commission comes up with, if it recommends some very technocratic uh, moves that'll disappoint the left, it'll mollify the right. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think there is a big groundswell, uh, even among, you know, Democrats as a whole, as opposed to progressive activists for uh, radically transforming the court. Yeah, so let me just because uh, whenever I try to. Uh, think about court packing, uh, you know, people, people like naturally go to the, the Bernie line of there'll be 87 justices or whatever. Uh, but I mean, you know, I think that there, I think that there, there seems to be a truth there, which is that once you say, well, you can, if you don't like the current makeup of the court, you know, just add some more people, uh, like, what does that do to the integrity of the court and and the like willingness to uh, defer to judicial decisions if you know that the 
reason the majority came out the way is because, you know, the whoever the president was just decided, well, I'm just going to put like, you know, I'm just going to keep putting people in there until they, they vote the way I want to, right? Uh, yeah, it, it gets perceived as even more of a political institution uh, than it is uh, already. Uh, I mean, it, it's unfortunate that uh, justices are increasingly seen as uh, Trump judges and Obama judges, uh, let alone liberals and conservatives. Um, but uh, it's the result of a dynamic whereby we have divergent interpretive theories that now map onto partisan preference at a time when the parties are ideologically sorted and polarized. So very hard to get away from it at a time when the court is very powerful in the sense that the federal government is powerful. And so the court is called upon to uh, resolve so many of the major political disputes in this country uh, uh, every year. I mean, I, I talk about in my book that there's no easier overnight solutions for this kind of dynamic that, you know, the only way to turn down the heat on uh, confirmation battles, on the kind of the toxic cloud surrounding the court, uh, as much as the same toxic cloud surrounds all of our public discourse, the only way to change that isn't by tweaking the rules or having restructuring or whatever, uh, but by making each seat less important, by returning power to the states and the people by rebalancing power within Washington. So Congress is making more of those controversial policy decisions rather than punting it to the bureaucracy, which then gets sued. And so those things end up uh, in the courts. It's, it's not an easy or a quick fix by, uh, by any means. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's why there's the perception of the court being political. And it would be that perception would only grow if you make it nakedly political by just adding a number of justices to create a perceived uh, democratic uh, majority. So that would be, I mean, it would be a terrible thing for the court. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that you have anywhere near yet uh, 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 to all the Democrats in the Senate who are on board with something like that. Yeah. And uh, when you talk about like, you know, Trump judges or Democrat judges or whatever, I do think of uh, it, it did bring to mind that uh, uh, post 2020 election lawsuit, the Texas versus Georgia or whatever it was, where it, it says sometimes it turns out they're not actually Trump judges, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, so when I talk to people about court packing, one of the things they say is, well, even if it would be a bad idea to actually do it it's useful to threaten it because, uh, you know, it could kind of, uh, make the court, you know, the court doesn't want, the justices don't want court packing. And so it kind of reins them in implicitly. This is, uh, you know, people will say that this was the success of the FDR court packing. Do you have a perspective both historically and currently on that? Yeah, I, I think, um, Certainly, uh, a lot of the reason for this court packing bill uh, that Senator Markey and I think six or seven uh, House members, including Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, uh, proposed, uh, you know, they're they're realistic. They know that this uh, isn't really going anywhere right now. Uh, but uh, as you said, it could pressure John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, the others in the middle of the court not to... Uh, you know, to be a little more cautious. And we saw just yesterday, they denied 
cert. They didn't take up three very well-positioned Second Amendment cases. They still haven't fleshed out the scope of the Second Amendment. So despite, again, what progressive activists might say, um, since since Heller and then McDonald uh, struck down complete bans on firearms in the home in D.C. and Chicago, respectively, the Supreme Court has not fleshed out the right to keep and bear arms. And so states have continued to regulate and prohibit uh, and restrict as as they wanted to. Um, and uh, the court has shied away from a lot of controversies. There's a couple of abortion cases that they that they haven't taken over the years. There's one pending now out of Mississippi. We'll see if they if they take that. But yeah, so part of that is indeed to pressure the court, and part of it is to toss a bone to those uh, frustrated uh, progressive activists who think that that, that Biden's not doing enough. Historically, <clears throat> there's some dispute over historians uh, among historians whether indeed FDR's court packing did. Uh, end up changing the way the court ended up ruling on uh, New Deal programs. Uh, what's known as the switch, uh, the, the the switch in time that saved nine. That is Owen Roberts, another Justice Roberts, who had been voting to um, to set aside, to invalidate, to find unconstitutional various uh, programs that FDR was putting in. Uh, all of a sudden changed his vote in a minimum wage case. And after that, uh, there really wasn't much opposition from the Supreme Court. Well, <clears throat> uh, new archival research has showed that Roberts already was had decided to go the other way before FDR revealed his court packing plan. And really, it was uh, uh, Charles Evans Hughes, uh, the chief justice at the time, also a Republican appointee, who sort of saw where the political winds were, were, were headed and both he and then uh, in talking to, uh, to Roberts, they sort of made the decision to go along with popular opinion. And the Supreme Court historically has not gotten too far ahead or behind public opinion on, on most issues. So um, again, I, I think there is that, that pressure that certainly affects uh, John Roberts uh, we'll see. Again, uh, this is the first term with Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, you don't need John Roberts is now the sixth vote. He's no longer the median vote uh, on the court as he was for two years. Uh, and we'll see what the court does with uh, with certain controversies in June. So they I mean, they could say, you know, uh, we need to add uh, uh, there's 36 members of the commission. We need we need 36 new justices. Uh, and uh, you know, they should they should be a, a diverse group of mostly professors. Um, uh, well, yeah, actually, let me ask on that because uh, I guess one of the one of the like oddities of this whole discussion is you know adding Supreme Court justices that only takes it's a it's a only takes a federal statute right so you 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 do need to co- overcome the filibuster but it's regular rules whereas if they were to try to uh, do term limits or some of the other lesser stuff. Would they be able to do that via statute or would that require some sort of, uh, you know, constitutional change? <clears throat> no, they, they, they have announced it. They have announced it. I'm not on it uh, because I'm not a professor, basically. So there, it's, it's, uh, it's an unusual um, uh, commission. There's 36 people. So imagine having, you know, meetings or decisions and, you know, what to, what to recommend, what to suggest, what have you with, with that many people, even writing the committee report is going to be pretty, pretty daunting. Uh, of those 36, there are two retired judges. There are three leading progressive activists and the rest are professors. Um, so of the 36, I think uh, nine, about a quarter 
are not progressive. So it's, it's heavily skewed towards the left, but they're not really kind of uh, uh, radical leftists. They're, they're academics. Uh, and so maybe we could have a kind of a, uh, a, a nerdy theoretical report, uh, if you will. Um, but they're, you know, they, they tried to achieve all sorts of diversity, um, uh, along different kinds of dimensions. That's why the commission's that big. Uh, and, uh, one of the co-chairs, Bob Bauer, who was Obama's white house counsel, uh, who was the uh, counsel to the Biden campaign, he's on record as being against court packing. So I don't think the commission is going to be very favorable, uh, to that, uh, might, uh, might be supportive of term limits, might be supportive of uh, very kind of technical uh, reforms, but I don't think this is a commission that was set out for, uh, you know, to endorse uh, or, or give an academic patina on on court packing or anything very radical. So they, I mean, they could say, you know, uh, we need to add. Uh, uh, there's 36 members of the commission. We need we need 36 new justices. Uh, and uh, you know, they should they should be a, a diverse group of mostly professors. Um, uh, well, yeah, actually, let me ask on that. Cause, uh, I guess one of the, one of the like oddities of this whole discussion is, you know, adding Supreme court justices that only takes, it's a, it's a, only takes a federal statute, right? So you, you, you do need to co- overcome the filibuster, but it's regular rules. Whereas if they were to try to, uh, do term limits or some of the other lesser stuff, would they be able to do that via statute or would that require some sort of, uh, you know, constitutional change? Term limits would require a constitutional amendment because the provision, uh, Article 3, says that federal judges hold their offices during good behavior, which means they can only be removed. They can only be impeached. It's a, it's a life tenure. There are some cute academic arguments that you can just uh, uh, transform some of the older justices into senior justices. You don't cut their pay. They still get all the perks. They can still sit on lower courts or for that matter, fill in on the Supreme Court if someone's recused, but otherwise they sort of rotate off. I think that's too clever by half. I think that's a different office and that's not holding your office during good behavior. So I think it would require a constitutional amendment. And we have to be clear about what term limits would and wouldn't fix it would, if you had 18-year terms, nine justices, 18-year terms, so vacancy every two years, every presidential term would get two uh, during off years, not during presidential election years. Uh, uh, what that would mean is it, you would get rid of politically timed retirements. You would get rid of uh, morbid health watches over octogenarian justices, that sort of thing, you know, more, more regularity in when you have these vacancies. Uh, but it would not, you know, and, and people like that, that might instill more public confidence in the court, which is a good thing. That's why I'm amenable to that. But it would not change that dynamic where you have different interpretive theories, uh, you know, people, you know, being upset, whether on the left or the right about uh, decisions in, in, in this or that area, the court being very important. The ba- You know, if you're appointing someone for 18 years, that's still 
a long time. It might not be 30, but it's still a long time. So you're still going to have uh, very fraught uh, political battles over these confirmations. So it's, you know, it's a good fix. I'm, you know, two cheers for, for term limits, but again, hard to do and uh, won't change kind of the underlying thing, reason why uh, some people are upset with the court. Other things, it depends what you're talking about. So, you know, bringing back the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees, that would just require a change in the Senate rules. Um, and the Senate can do that anytime it wants if it has a, a majority to, to do that. Uh, you know, changing the way that hearings are run. Again, the Senate can change its own committee rules or set rules for how long after a nomination there has to be a hearing or a vote or what have you. Um, changing the jurisdiction of the court, that would just take a, a, a normal law, you know, saying the court cannot hear any voting cases or has to hear all voting cases. Uh, or doesn't have discretion over its docket in certain ways. Um, you know, th there can be laws to that effect. Um, you know, most things would not require uh, constitutional amendments. But if you're going to fiddle with the structure in the sense of term limits, in the sense of uh, you're expanding the court and making it a, a so-called balanced court, you have to have eight appointed by Republicans, eight appointed by Democrats or something like that, that sort of thing would take a constitutional amendment. Okay, so final question. It's a very serious question. Uh, so I was in uh, Clubhouse the other day, and there was a Clubhouse room dedicated to the question of whether uh, we should clone Justice Thomas uh, so we could have, you know, uh, a whole court majority of just Justice Thomas's. So do you think that, you know, leaving aside the scientific technical it, it, issues. Do you think that this would be a solution to uh, the current problems with the court if we just clone a bunch of Justice Thomases and then pack the court with him? <laughs> well, presumably it would be Republicans doing that and, and you get into the same uh, Bernie Sanders uh, 87 justice situation. Uh, you know, they're going to be cloning, uh, you know, uh, exhuming uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or, or cloning Sotomayor or something like that. Uh, um, you know, Thomas is, uh, certainly for, uh, kind of standard conservatives, Thomas has been the most reliable, uh, uh, justice and he's been on the court now for, he's going to be celebrating 30 years later this year. And he's still, uh, 71 years old, turned 72 in a couple of months. So he could be on the court for, for another 10 years, but th this is, uh, another thing, uh, that that's interesting about the court dynamic, the democratic appointees tend to be a lot more predictable or, or quote unquote reliable, at least in the most ideologically salient cases, not because they're result oriented necessarily, but because their legal theories of pragmatism or justice seeking or what have you gets you to that result. Whereas the Republican appointees have different flavors of originalism or John Roberts minimalism or, um, you know, Gorsuch has his own brand of textualism and, and natural law infused theory. He's more libertarian in, in certain ways. So th there's, you know, there's, there's, there's a variety there on the right of, of interpretive theories and that, that make things uh, less predictable, which I guess is why this suggestion from a lot of conservatives to, to clone uh, Clarence Thomas. Others prefer Sam Alito for that matter. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, that, that would be an interesting situation if we just had a uh, hundred years from now, uh, just uh, brains in jars. That was the uh, that that would be the court. Uh, you know, what a world! Yes, yeah. And I do. I was I I, I was watching a old clip of uh, the late great 
Antonin Scalia the other day, and you know, I had forgotten. It reminded me just how much I I, I miss that guy. But um, not that you know the the other the living justices are fine too. They're perfectly fine justices. Um, okay, so our guest today has been Ilya Shapiro. Thank you for joining us on the Urbane Cowboys. My pleasure. And uh, if your listeners go to supremedisorder.com, not only can they order my book, but you can download for free uh, a a statistical historical appendix about all of these crazy nominations and political shenanigans and, you know, really nerd out on arcane Senate procedure, make yourself popular at your next virtual cocktail party. That's right. Free statistics, everyone. It's great. But you should uh, should definitely buy the book.